Well, last week, I kicked off a sermon series on the gospel according to John. If you missed that sermon, you may want to go online and listen to it because I, I sort of gave it an overview of who was John, what is a gospel, what does it mean to have a gospel according to John, how does John sort of lay out his gospel. And so that's a sermon if you missed, you may want to go back and get it because it sort of lays some foundational stuff for the rest of the summer. Today we are looking at the story of Jesus turning water into wine. I had this really ex interesting experience this week. Of uh, I started to do some work on this, this story of the water turned to wine, and then I really knew a lot about this story. And so I thought, you know, I think I preached this uh, here at uh, Northminster once. And I looked at my notes. I preached it in September. So I don't know if you will remember it or not. I do. I remember it. Uh, but but I tell you what, I, there's so much in this story that I was like, no, there's enough here. I've actually always wanted to take one passage and preach it for like four or five weeks in a row just to preach it differently sort of every time. And one of the passages I've considered doing that with is this one because there is so much to this. So I know that you all remember that sermon from September so well. But we're going to do it again anyway, and uh, you'll you'll I'm going to preach it a little different. So even if you... Uh, even if you don't, even if you do remember, uh, we'll, we'll come at it a little different angle today. I'm in John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And Jesus said, Now draw out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And there he stayed for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so in the Gospel of John, he, he tends to organize his material around signs and discourses, signs and discussions. So there are seven signs that Jesus does. If you look on the back of your bulletin, they're listed there. And we're looking at the first one today. And then Jesus also says a number of I am sayings in the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at a number of those throughout the summer too. But actually John numbers some of them. So you can hear at the end of the passage, John says it's the first sign. Now this was a really fun week for me to be preparing this sermon because... Um, my cousin got married on Friday. And so as I was preparing the sermon, I was also preparing to go to a wedding. And uh, I, I go to a, actually a lot of weddings, right? But normally I'm working them, you know? 
Uh, I mean, I'm in it or I'm part of it. And so it was fun to be a wedding guest this week as I prepared this sermon about Jesus being at a wedding. So we've all been to weddings, right? A lot of us have been in them. We've been a part of them. Our kids got married. And so you know that there are a lot of details that go into weddings, a lot of planning that has to take place. There's a lot of family dynamics, right? Like, okay, I can't sit this person next to this person because they fought back in 1984 and I can't have them at the same table, right? You got to like organize. Did I invite everybody? Did I invite the person I didn't want to invite and I'm hoping doesn't come, right? There's like all these family dynamics, seating arrangements. You have to rush to get to the cookie table first so that you can get the best choice of cookies. I mean, there's all these dynamics that go on. I got to watch my aunt go through a lot of this this week. In fact, in Jesus' day, weddings were probably an even bigger deal. They were multi-day events that involved the entire community. And the community didn't come together that often. I mean, there were, there were lots of people that lived sort of around the town. There were people in neighboring towns. How often did you all get together? Well, whenever somebody got married. And so you would get together for multiple days. You would, you would kill the fatted calf, and you would have lots of wine, and there would be a party, and people from other towns and, and friends and family would come together. It, it was a time of connecting. A lot, a lot of business was done at weddings. Right, A lot of weddings, uh, a lot of the next round of marriages were arranged at the previous wedding. Okay? You, you made business deals, you made business relationships. And so it's important. As trade was established, business done, marriages arranged, weddings were a huge part of how the town stayed together and kept going. And so it was a big deal. It was a big deal for a wedding to happen and it needed to happen and it needed to drag on it needed to be have the time for people to connect so let's imagine now today uh, again as i was thinking about going to a wedding let's imagine you're at this wedding let's imagine that you are one of the disciples you're one of the disciples uh, you're just a fisherman you know this rabbi has asked you to study with him but you haven't really heard him, seen him do a lot of miracles. He hasn't done a lot of miracles yet. You may have been there for the miraculous catch of fish that the disciples have seen. Or maybe you weren't called to be a disciple yet, so you didn't even see that. So Jesus has been teaching. He's been sort of gathering disciples. But you haven't ever really seen him do a miracle yet. Probably for you, he's a rabbi. But you don't think that much more about him. So Jesus gets invited to this wedding in Cana. Cana is about eight miles from Nazareth. Uh, in those days, it was very common for a person to walk 15 to 20 miles every day. Eight miles is nothing. You would go over there to see people. You would be over there to connect it with people. Since Jesus is invited, he probably knows the family pretty well. And since Mary is both invited to the wedding and knows behind the scenes what's going on in the planning, it's quite likely that this is a relative of Jesus that's getting married. You can imagine a cousin of Jesus living in this neighboring town, just like my cousin got married. This may have actually been one of the brothers or sisters of Jesus getting married. And so maybe Mary is actually a part of the planning and the control of the day. So what fun you must have had celebrating a wedding with Jesus. I would just love to go to a wedding with Jesus. Um, Jesus would know where all the best cookies were. 
okay? You'd have fun dancing with Jesus. And then when there were laws and the adventures, uh, I bet you that Jesus was just a blast to talk to. Like, I wonder if Jesus is at this point kind of working out some of his teaching. Like, he, like, okay, guys, I've got this idea for a parable. Let me tell you, let me tell you about it. There's this lost son, right? And Jesus is like testing out his material that he's preparing for his public ministry. But remember, he hasn't really had a public ministry yet. People don't quite know who Jesus is. This is people that know Jesus intimately. But then a problem arises. The wine runs out. Maybe you're sitting at the table when she comes and gets Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, the wine ran out. But you've got to understand the crisis that this would be, and everybody there would have known it, that, that if you don't have wine, the party ends. Okay? Uh, weddings today, when the beer runs out, the party's over. Okay? And that's the same thing back then. When the wine runs out, in fact, it, it, it would look terrible. It looked like you were a terrible planner. How could you not have enough wine? In fact, you wanted to have extra wine because at the end of the party, the wine would normally be, the extra wine would be sold off to the guests and that money would be given as a gift to the bridal party, to, to the bridal couple. And so it was like the sort of last send-off. So now you look really terrible. You didn't, you didn't plan ahead. And remember, at the next wedding, what's everybody going to be talking about? Hey, the Joneses ran out of wine. They didn't plan that pro. In fact, you might not get invited to many more weddings. Like, I'm not inviting you to a wedding if you don't have wine at your wedding for me. I mean, and this is detrimental to the community, right? Because all those business deals happening around the tables, all those relationships that are being formed in the community, all of a sudden are not being formed because the party's over because you didn't plan properly. Okay, this is a culture of built. This is a shame culture in the Middle East. It's a shame culture. And so if you have a shame like this, not only that, it, it follows you for generations. Oh, you're the family that didn't plan properly. So when, when Jesus comes, when Mary comes to Jesus, um, and you overhear, uh, you would be shocked then at kind of the, the exchange and the response. Now when we hear this, when we hear this, you just got to understand, in English, this doesn't come across in our culture real well, because Jesus just says, Woman, what has this to do with me? And, and in our culture, you don't say woman like that. Like, that's not a form of address. Like, if you say woman, it's normally like, woman, make me a sandwich. That's bad, right? You don't talk to your wife that way. You, don't, you definitely don't talk to your mom that way. But you just have to understand, in those days, this actually was a normal form of address. In fact, in Jesus' most intimate, caring moment for his mother possible, he's on the cross, he's dying. And he wants to make sure his mom's taken care of. And so he turns to John and says, John, behold your mother. And he actually says, woman, behold your son. Okay, Ma Mary's not offended by this. Nobody that hears this is offended. Our English ears are offended by this. But in those days, this was just a form of address. In Hebrew, this is not offensive. What would have shocked you as a disciple was what else Jesus said. He says, what does this have to do with me? It, it could also be rendered, what is it to me? What do you want me to do about it? Legit question, right? Because Jesus is just a carpenter from Galilee. Like, okay, if you're a disciple, you're like, I don't think Jesus has the money to buy the wine. Like, where's he even going to go get all that wine? Jesus does not have the money to go get the wine. What do you think Jesus is going to do about this? In fact, why is this even Jesus' problem? Okay, he's a guest at the party. 
Actually, that's interesting to me, right? Why does Mary even expect Jesus to do anything? Does Mary know that Jesus can do miracles? Okay, How does she know that he can handle this? I wonder if one time as a kid, Mary was like, Jesus, we just ran out of milk. And Jesus was like, hey, I got an idea. Fill the gallon with water and I'll take care of it. Like, How does she even know that he's going to do this? And then he says this line, but his hour has not yet come. Well, what hour? The hour of his ministry? The hour of what? What does he mean by his hour? His hour has not yet come. Actually, the interesting part of the story is, in fact, his hour has come. Like, it's time to start. And in this show, I keep commending this to people. Only a couple people have taken me up on it. There's this great show about the life of Jesus called The Chosen. And one of the best episodes is this story. And, and they interpret this, this interaction with Jesus as Mary sort of pushing Jesus a little bit. Like a little push of Jesus to say, Jesus, yeah, your hour has come. In fact, in the show, again, creative license they're taking here, Mary says, if not now, then when? Like this is sort of the start of Jesus' public ministry. And so Mary, I don't know how she understands this from the response either, but she's, he says, well, what is it to me? Like, what do you want me to do about it? My hour has not yet come. She turns to the servants. Remember, she's not actually offended like we would might be. And she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Like, how does she even know that he's going to do something and do something valuable? So imagine as a disciple, you're watching all this. And Jesus, you're, you're okay, well, what's Jesus going to do? He's going to have to go buy more wine or something, right? But then Jesus says, hey, hey what do we got? What do we got? Oh, there, there's some large jars. Okay, these jars, 20 to 30 gallons. Um, probably they're, they're ritual jars, we're told by John, which means they were either for washing hands or washing feet for the meal. You normally, before you ate, you would wash your hands and sort of, sort of say a, a, ser- a, a prayer. Okay, so if you, if you add it up, it's about 150 gallons of water. So I just want to point out to everybody, this is a big party. Okay, when, when, we're, when we've got six empty jars of water, there's a lot of people at this party. In fact, maybe, maybe it wasn't even bad planning. Maybe just a lot more people showed up to this party than they were expecting. So you're there. You hear all this exchange. You have no idea what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus says, hey, let's fill those up with water. First of all, do you know what kind of pain in the neck it would be to fill 150, jo- 150 gallons of water? They don't have a sink, everybody. Yeah. Like, they got to go get buckets. <laughs> you know, you're not carrying a 20 to 30 gallon jar. So you got to haul jar gallon by gallon from somewhere nearby, a well, a stream, whatever. I mean, this is not like a five minutes later, we've got the water. This is a couple hours of hauling. In fact, maybe you as a disciple are hauling water. And what are you thinking as you're hauling water? Hey, Jesus, we don't have a water problem. we got a wine problem. Hey, what is this that we're going to do? Do you think maybe Jesus will just go by? Maybe while you're helping the servants bring the water, you think maybe Jesus is just going to go buy some wine and use all this water to water it down. So they finally fill these up to the brim. And Jesus says, okay, scoop some out and take it to the master of the feast. And it's really interesting to me in this story that we never know when does the water become wine. Like when does it, Jesus doesn't say anything. He doesn't pray. He doesn't like touch the water. There's no blessing. He's just like, hey, go give some of that to the master of the feast. 
Can you imagine being the servant that's like, you want me to take the water to the master at a feast? Like, does it change when he gets poured in? Does it change when he scoops? Does it not change until the master actually has it? I mean, the faith of these servants is kind of wild that they went through all this trouble to do all this water. And you as a disciple, if you're watching this, you're like, okay, how is this going to play out? And so there's this great moment of tension where the master of the feast takes a drink. And, he, and what does he do? He actually stops the festivities. He's like, hold everything, stop the music. And he blesses the family for bringing out the best wine last. Normally you did the best wine first. Okay? Because that's when people actually care. Okay? Later on in the party, they don't care as much what they're drinking. <laughs> Hey, you gave the best first and you just water it down as people and then you, that way you could stretch it out to have it last for the whole party. But actually then, in front of the whole community, so instead of being embarrassed and shamed, this family is blessed for having the best wine last. And, uh, and actually, isn't it interesting that here's this miracle of Jesus that most people don't know is a miracle at the party. But you know. As a disciple, you know how we got this. You know the servants know. And so the family is actually blessed. And they're doubly blessed because what did we say? We said that at the end of the wedding party, at the end of the wedding, the wine that's left over is sold off, which means the best wine is going to be sold off at the end. So this is a blessing, not just on the family, but actually a blessing on the bridal couple who instead of being embarrassed are going to be blessed by what Jesus has done. And man, would I like to have the Jesus wine. Anybody ever think of that when they're in the story? Like the best wine ever made. Made by the person that made grapes. Made by the person that called, that was called, calls himself later in John, the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. The marketer in the disciples should have been like, we need to start the straight from the vine winery. Right? I think that would have been great. Straight from the vine winery. Jesus makes this great blessing to the feast. And actually, most people don't know that it was him. But you do. You do. And what does the text say? It says that the disciples start to believe in Jesus. Believe in. Not believe him. Not believe like what he's saying. Like you've heard him as a rabbi. But also you start to believe in in him. Like maybe he's more than a rabbi. This starts this huge turn for the disciples of trying to figure out who Jesus is is this this is the way i think you should read scripture play the movie out imagine the story consider what is in the text and then try to think about what the cultural understandings you can get and then come to okay what's this story really about okay reading scripture should be sort of an imaginative process but then the question becomes well what is the application what do we do with this passage or sometimes people will say well what's the point well, here's the problem with that question. There's a whole bunch of points. There's a whole bunch of things in this story I think we could be thinking about. So, so let's, let me just give you a list. We, we know that the signs are supposed to say something about the identity of Jesus. So, so what is this saying about Jesus? This idea of, of him fulfilling, of, of, of being a part of a celebration. The power of Jesus over creation, that's a big theme in John, that he could multiply bread and fish, he can walk on water, he can turn water into wine. 
The fact that Jesus uses what's at hand to do the extraordinary, like like just takes what's here. What's here? Jars, water. All right, I got this. What does it say that Jesus can do that? What does it say that Jesus is is a is a person of abundance and blessing? He could have made a little wine, everybody. He could have made okay wine. He made a lot of the best wine. The God that that Jesus is showing us something about about blessing and abundance. What might it mean to think that that at, in our lives the party sometimes runs out? You ever felt like you were on empty and the wine was running out? Jesus offers something that'll last. What about thinking about this story not from Jesus' perspective but from the people's perspective? This is a big theme in John too. Like, what what is your response to Jesus going to be? Well, Jesus isn't calling for a big like believe everything about me right now for the disciples. What's he asking them? Little steps of faith. Hey, servants, start pouring the water. Just start with pouring the water. Little act of obedience. That's what trust starts. And this is how it starts for Jesus. What about his loving response to care for his mother, to care what her, his mother cares about? What about Jesus going to a wedding and feeling strongly about marriage and the importance of marriage? What about some other historical things we could think about? Uh, for one thing, in the Old Testament, there's this huge theme that when the Messiah comes, there's going to be this great heavenly banquet. You can see it in Isaiah 25. You can see it again in Revelation 19. Is this sort of an announcement that Jesus is the Messiah coming with this heavenly banquet? Is there a subtle hint of communion in the midst of this story? There's actually an Old Testament story where Elisha in 2 Kings 4 has a bunch of empty jars that he puts water in and it turns to oil. What does it mean for, for, for Jesus to be doing something that the prophets did? In the Greco-Roman religion, there was this god named Dionysus. Dionysus was the god of fruitfulness and vegetation. He was also the god of wine and ecstasy. In fact, there are several occasions where, according to Greco-Roman legend, Dionysus changed water into wine. The other question might be, well, how does this fit in the Gospel of John? Okay, how does it set up what's going on in the Gospel? Well, this is his first sign, his first public miracle, although we said it's semi-public. The miracles are going to get a lot more public after this. In, in John, he's, he's sort of figuring out, Jesus is sort of understanding that, okay, my hour has come. Now we're getting started. He's inaugurating his ministry. Maybe with his mom pushing him a little bit to say, hey, let's go. Your time has come. There's an interesting detail about the ritual jars, too. Is Jesus talking about his own self fulfilling the Jewish ritual jars? Like, hey, you know how you used to get clean using these rituals of washing your hands? Well, now you're going to get clean through me. That fits with later on in the chapter of John where he's going to cleanse the temple. So he's going to change the water into wine in the cleansing jars, and then he's going to go and cleanse the temple of all of the money changers. Water is a big theme in the Gospel of John. He's going to talk about new birth, new life, living water. And so this is actually setting up a whole number of themes in John. So let me ask you, what's the point of this story? Well, I just gave you about 20. I just gave you about 20 things that you could be thinking about in this story. This is such a rich passage. I don't think there's a point. So here's my question for you then on Trinity Sunday. 
if we actually believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is with you, then what stands out to you in this story? Right? So, so what actually in this story stands out to you? What is the thing that you're thinking about now that we just covered all of this, now that we just imagined this whole story? What's your takeaway? What's the Holy Spirit, Spirit's point for you? So I'm going to put my mic back. I'm going to get my guitar. I'm going to give you about one minute to turn to somebody in your car or in the car next to you or in the chair next to you. And uh, what, what's your takeaway? Like, what was your thing that you want to think about after hearing the story? Go. Talk to your neighbor.